Here's what we have in store for you today. The secret world of top-end supercar sales and the winner of the Boxster race car livery competition. Nineworks Radio is your dedicated Porsche and car podcast, taking you closer than ever to the world's finest sports cars and the culture and history behind them. Nineworks Radio is brought to you by nineworks.co.uk, the innovative online platform for Porsche enthusiasts. Nineworks Radio is presented by Porsche journalist Lee Sibley and 993 owner and engineer Andy Brooks with special input from friends and experts around the industry, as well as you, our valued listeners. Enjoy the episode. Good day, listeners. And good day, Andy Brooks. No, <laughs> I was going to try and do some Austrian thing. What's uh, what's uh, what's what's those, what's the Austrian noise? Um, I've absolutely no idea to be honest with you. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Hello from Austria. <laughs> so actually, it sounds like something from um, uh, Eurovision Song Contest, doesn't it? Hello <laughs> from Austria. <laughs> yes, I'm in Austria today. Excellent. So what are you doing in Austria, Andy B? Oh, getting a bit of snowboarding in. Absolutely amazing to be away. Um, I was very fortunate to go away uh, just before all the COVID lockdowns a couple of years ago. Um, Obviously missed last year, but yeah, back back on it this year. And it feels amazing to be out and about and seeing the world. Yeah, Yeah, mate, nice to be back on the board. Or have you spent more time on your board or on your bum? No, I'm on the board, on the board. I don't fall overly. I'm I'm a a professional. (laughs) Seasoned pro, seasoned pro. Excellent. Well, look. Everybody at home, I'm sure, is grateful that you've joined us for a week despite being on your holly bobs. So, highly yeah, yeah. commendable, Just good sir. Say hello. Yeah. So, uh, what has brought you along today, Andy, and uh, dragged you away from your holly bobs? Is it the fact that we've got Jonathan Franklin from Jonathan Franklin Cars, the high end supercar sales guy? Or is it the fact that we're going to reveal the Boxster livery race car competition? Both exciting, aren't they? Both exciting. Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. exactly that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to speaking to Jonathan. Actually, I think uh, it's going to be quite a good insight. Yeah, you know, I'm never going to be in that world myself, um, as in you know, buying lots of lovely cars. I just stick with my one. I'm quite happy with that. But it'd be quite <laughs> interesting to hear how that world operates and, and yeah, what what goes on. I think so. It's always good to know. So yeah, I think you never know. One day. Yeah. One one day, Andy. Like Bitcoin indeed. might make some money <laughs> might, this week. Might come true, yeah. But yeah, yeah. this is it. If this I is had like, any. Yeah, it's just it's just nice that um, that Jonathan is is agreed to kind of just shed a little bit of light on on the other side, I suppose, for for the the every man, the mere mortal like you and Absolutely. I. So yeah, we'll um, we'll have a chat with Jonathan. He has considerable experience in the industry over a number of years now. Um, particularly moving with those sort of cars of of late. So as I say, it's nice that he's going to kind of take us on a little bit and just and yeah, shed some light on how that world of high end collectible car buying and selling and trading kind of works, really. So yeah, it'd be very interesting, and, and hopefully it feel yeah you know, well be useful to somebody that maybe is in that world but doesn't know Jonathan as well. Yes, um, yeah, a bit of word of mouth and advertisement for him, really, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. definitely it it, yeah, it always helps it does always help so you know jonathan from from my point of view is one of the, the best in the game so it's a really good voice to 
as, as a good sounding board really for kind of what what this sort of end of things entails so Absolutely. we'll um we'll get him on in a minute and then we are later on in the episode we're going to be announcing the winner as we said of the boxster race car livery competition that we ran a couple of weeks ago get your tongue around that mate t <laughs> it, it is a bit of a, it is a bit of a tongue twister so yeah. um for for the guys and girls listening at home you may remember a couple of weeks ago uh, Steve Shaw from Charade Accident Repair. He races in the Boxster Cup and wanted a new livery for the 2022 season. So ditched the Rothmans livery that um, I have to say it went down very well with me. I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But uh, yes, yeah, so he had a base colour of ruby stone for this year and basically asked listeners to design the delivery which is awesome such an, yeah, a really was it 20 entries in all in the end 20 entries yeah Absolutely it's a good fantastic as well not not yeah. one of them was was what i would call dodgy they were all extremely good well yeah presented all half and, half yeah. baked yeah they yeah. they were they were bang on a lot of thought went into that but it, it was a really good competition it, it it inspired people i think to get creative which is is yeah. great yeah. so um yeah it's quite lucky that i couldn't enter because it would probably look like a five five real five-year-old's drawing <laughs> done with crayons yeah we definitely didn't have any of those well this is it you know some people decided to uh, i mean you you found a, a lovely um like white car to use as like a, a template basically yeah. for everybody and, and, and you put that up on the on the social media channels which was awesome but some people use that and then kind of using various digital programs design the car on on the computer or laptop but then others actually drew the car first freehand yeah. and then drew the livery on the car so it was like so many Some kind of different ways about, isn't around it yeah so we are later on in the episode we are going to get on the competition winner yep and we are also going to get on steve from charade who's going to just kind of give a little bit of intel on why he chose the livery he did and and just i think that's something we found in the decision making process although i wasn't central to that by any means um obviously neither of us were andy you or i yeah but but just you know steve made some good points as to you know what makes a good drawing but you know applying that to a car as a, as a full-scale livery presents challenges and whatnot so he can yeah, highlight interesting to hear that. those yeah particularly for next year when we can do it all again <laughs> so we'll do that and then the last thing i want to say before we get jonathan on is regards to the nine works awards which is obviously on thursday the 7th of april at charade incidentally uh tickets are now on sale andy i know you're going to be there anyway because you're yep. giving out an award on the night yeah, which is going to be amazing i think that's category four which is best nine works radio host so it's worth pointing that's out me, isn't it? i've just won Oh, there we go. Well, I am the host. I, you I mean, can... you, don't you mean guest? <laughs> guest, yes. Yes, sorry, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are, yeah, you're the best host. Yeah, <laughs> of course you are. But um, yeah, no, guest. Uh, no, host. No, guest. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, guest. You can tell it's the end of the day. <laughs> My brain's fried. Um, but yes, yeah, so um, category four is Nineworks Radio. Best Nineworks Radio guest. Yeah. So I think it's worth pointing out to people two things. You can uh, vote. By the time this podcast goes out, you won't have long left to vote at all. Voting closes at 8 p.m. on Tuesday, March the 8th. Oh, cool. So, as okay, I say, yeah. you have a matter of hours, really, by the time yeah, this podcast comes go, out. Get go on to, it tonight. Yes, go to nineworks.co.uk slash awards. Don't forget to sign in first. Um, and yeah, if you and haven't then, signed in yet, join. Join, yeah. It's get free. It. It's free to join. 
category nine because there are nine categories is personality of the year and i don't mind saying andy uh, your name's been cropping up my friend oh, no way. your name's been cropping <laughs> up yeah it has Jesus. yeah so uh yeah that's that's the way that's going but uh, of course there are limited tickets available to to join us yep. on the evening of the thursday the 7th of April with Tony Hatter, of course, legendary Nana three designer and career GT designer. He's going to be our guest of honor for the evening, which is awesome. So yeah, tickets are still available. Just go to Eventbrite, search Nineworks Awards and, um, and yeah, you can join us on the evening. Patreons, by the way, Nineworks Radio patrons have been emailed um, a link separately to get a little discount, which is mine and your way, Andy, of saying thanks to, to people yeah. for supporting us. So. Absolutely. Thank you, chaps. That's Yes, that's the admin side of things. Let's talk high-end Porsche supercar sales, shall we? Absolutely. Jonathan Franklin, how are you, my friend? I'm very well, Lee. How are you? Excellent. Yeah, very well. Welcome to Nine Works Radio with Andy uh, Andy in the building as well. Good day, good day. I'm in Austria. As you can probably <laughs> tell by the background, a bit of wood in the background. I'll just swing you around so you can see a bit of mountain as well. Oh, Look at that. Wow. Yeah. Very good, mate. Very good. Very good. You swapped, yeah, you swapped the 911 for a set of skis for the week. Uh, well, not skis. Snowball, please. Oh, sorry to swear. Sorry to swear. Even harder. <laughs> that that means you've definitely spent time on your backside this week. <laughs> Excuse me, so, I don't fall. <laughs> so, Jonathan, we have had you on No Much Radio before. Uh, last series, in fact where we were speaking about rare car finance which is i think fed say one side of the coin with regards yeah. to what you do the other side of course is uh, the eponymous business jonathan franklin cars so we're looking yeah. forward to exploring a little bit of that today particularly with reference to like the super high-end stuff that you've been well known for kind of dealing in of late so yeah. i think it'd be prudent to start proceedings by perhaps giving listeners a bit of an outline of your career to date if you don't mind as some people will know um, it started off uh, probably 25 plus years ago and then uh, w- working for a very boring uh, uh, Toyota dealership in Twickenham. But it taught me the ropes and um, got me into Hexagon, which was uh, probably more more of your listeners will be more au fait with. Started working for Paul and um, was there 20 years with a, with a finance background, might I add. That was, that was the... Um, that was my sort of entrance into into hexagon and then later on that developed um with my love for uh porsches um we sort of turned um hexagon classics into um a sort of modern classic porsche porsche specialist at the time um around about 2010 i want to say off the top of my head so then we we obviously Took that forward quite quickly when um, the the BMW franchise was sold off and concentrated hard on Porsches, mostly air cool to begin with. Um, they were obviously a lot more keenly priced at the time. Yeah. Um, and the market grew quite quickly between sort of then and you know up until 2018, 2019, when they started becoming a lot more scarce. Um, because I think a lot of the big collectors have put them away. You know, the, the, the sort of very unusual stuff anyway and the low mileage stuff that Hexagon, you know, are known for selling. Yes, I decided to, as, as you know, Lee, we had conversations about this at the time, and I decided that, um, um, you know, I wanted to break away and do it on my own, but for, for no other reason, just because I, I wanted to give it a go myself. 
so I had a, a good few years there uh, working with Paul, who, um, yep, got a lot to be grateful for to, to you know to him. Amazing man with lots of knowledge, and um, I've sort of tried to carry that on. And unfortunately, a lot of the loyal clients that I built up while I was there um, in the last few years, uh, fortunately, a lot of them did follow me. In truth, when I left, I, I, I did intend you know, putting more effort into the finance business, which we've done, but I then ended up, you know, taking Jerry on with me. Uh, we've now become quite busy. So he sort of concentrates on that. And, I, and I'm back with the cars, which is how I want it to be, to be honest, because it's, you know, I, I, I missed it. it. It was a it was a good journey at Hexagon. And then, you know, now now um, on my own. And to be honest with you, I'm, I'm very happy. My job has sort of developed into... A bit of a, a bit of a jack of all trades now, really, because I deal with quite a few big collectors who have kind of kind of relied on me to 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 find them the very best collector cars available. Um, and, and you know, to be honest, I'm very fortunate that some of them have given me the opportunity after I left such a big credible organisation to do that. You know, independently, when quite honestly, don't have the the sort of backing and structure that that I had with with Paul. So, yeah, so they've, got, um, they've got the belief in you personally to to be able to to find these cars for them. Yeah, so um, got a couple of places that I store my cars. Uh, not not all Porsches, but you know, you know, I'm mad nine eleven man, and um, I've got a few of my own. So I'm I'm uh, you know very very focused on them. Um, I must admit, I have found it very difficult to find good cars. Um, you know, cars that. I consider to be top, top notch collector grade cars in the last few years. And as you also know, I'm I'm more of a an older Porsche man than a, than a new Porsche man. So the job has got harder, which is why I've sort of diversified slightly into some other makes. But but I yeah. am still through and through a mad Porsche nut. So <laughs> um, so yeah. Going back to your mad Porsche nut, you say that you've got a few yourself. Are you, are you willing to let us know what you've got? Yep, I have quite an unusual uh, right-hand drive 2.4 S 72 car, oil clapper, um, one of only two in black, which is a fantastic car, which came came out of um, quite long-term ownership about a year ago. I think the chap had it for 26 years. Oh, wow. um, I've, I've got two very nice C2 manual 964s. One is paint to sample speed yellow, and it's believed to be the only speed yellow Right-hand drive car. That is special, very special. Yeah, special wishes car with the, it's even got a little yellow special wishes tag, which um, uh, I think they call it a magic magic tag or magic number <laughs> car. Um, I've also got a midnight blue 964 C2 manual, which I do drive in the summer regularly, uh, which I love. Um, Such a good colour. Yeah, it's a lovely car. It's, it's You know what, it's nice. It's under the radar. It's... Yeah. It's, um, you know, you get a lot of looks in it, but only from people who kind of know what it is and, yeah. you know, because it's quite understated. So I, I, I love that car. So, so I use that pretty much every day in the summer. I have a 993 RS Club Sport, oh. um, which is one of 227 lightweights in the world, German car in speed yellow and I do take that out now and again I, I took it to uh, Donington last year for the supercar meet up there oh I saw that yeah 
Yeah, because yeah, Paul had his nine five nine there, didn't he? He did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, went up there and was um, bumped into Mike at Ashgood and had we had the three we had three cars lined up in a row. That was a good photo. Awesome. Took that up there, but I, you know, I try and drive them as much as I can. Got a couple of other things as well, but you know, Mark II Golf sixteen valve, n- nothing brilliant, uh, nothing that exciting. But I like I, I love cars of that era. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, when I couldn't afford a Porsche, um, that was my that was my thing before, you know, I got into my first 1980 SC, yeah. which was my first 911. So yeah. is, is, is that what kind of um, created the spark for you and Porsche then? Or was it kind of something before, you know, people of a certain age talk about posters on the wall growing up and that side of things? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, when I was growing up, God, I, m- I remember where I lived in, in Weybridge, there was always a... Um, a, a green uh, 964 coupe. I, I just used to see this car all the time. I, I can't remember the number plate, but it had this private plate on it. And, you know, I used to sort of home in, home in on this car. I absolutely loved this car. And the other car that I saw quite regularly at the time was Daley Thompson's 959. <laughs> Actually, that, that, I, he, he must have lived in the area because I saw that quite a few times as well. I didn't know uh, he had the 959. Yeah, that was it. It was a... It was a um, I can't remember what the colour's called now, but it was a, it was like a burgundy metallic nine five nine. How long did he have that for then? I'm not sure, but but I, as I say, I've seen it or I had seen it a few times. I'm talking, you know, I was probably, God, uh, I was probably teens still, late yeah, teens, yeah, yeah. So, uh, quite a long time ago now. I'm 40, 46. So, yeah, Boris Becker's always been, you know, the famed nine five nine owner, hasn't he? Yeah, Nick Faldo so, had one yeah. as well. Oh, did he? Um, wow. Yeah, Nick Felder had a white one. So yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, um, I think for me, yeah, nine thirty turbo, nine six four. Those cars when I when I was a, you know, when I just started to drive, were yeah. just like an absolute dream. And to be honest with you, I I never thought I'd own a nine eleven like it. I, I just you know, so um, you're, so you're proper ninety late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. Same as me. Yeah. I, I don't know if you saw, but there was a, a good thing went on at Vista at the weekend. I did, was, I saw it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it looked fantastic. That was all 90s cars. Um, yeah, yeah. Wish I'd got along to that, box. Yeah, me too. I did I was see away. it on Instagram. It's like some of these things you see on Instagram afterwards, and you're like, oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, anyway. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's, those, those sorts of cars are the ones that kind of got me hooked on 911s. And my first... My first Porsche was actually a Boxster. I had I had an R plate Boxster, which, funny enough, we actually took in pass exchange at Hexagon. By the guy bought an M3 and, and pass exchange this Boxster, and that was my first Porsche. And then kind of got the bug. Bought my first 911, which was a 1980 SC. And then I only had that about eight months, and then got myself into a beautiful 3.2 Carrera, a uh, black one, yeah. um, which I had for quite a few years and absolutely loved. Um, and I, I know that the lady who bought it still, I think she still owns it. She, she's a member of the Porsche Club. She's I'm quite interested in the difference between the SC and the Carrera, if we could just quickly the, get your the, feelings on that. So apart from, it feels quite a lot more sprightly, although it's only 200cc. Yeah. But also it does feel a lot sort of smoother. And to, to be fair, the SC was an old car and the the... the the, the 3.2 I had was in a lot better shape than the SC. Right, okay, yeah. It, could, it had been restored and it was a really lovely car, the, the Carrera. But the the 3.0 litre was a, a lot more, 
a lot more sort of it felt like a bit bit more like a 70s car it was yeah. I mean, it's the, it, to be fair it's the one in the middle so i'm stating the obvious but it felt more sort of towards the 70s and than the 80s to be fair yeah yeah um you know just the noise and a bit more rattly and yeah a bit more of an engine rasp I guess to um, the layman, they look like they're pretty similar cars. But oh yeah, I, totally. I keep yeah. hearing like how different they are. They yeah, are. It's just quite interesting to see to hear. Yeah, they are a lot boat. more um, compliant. The suspension is is a lot better on a or feels a lot better anyway on a three point two. Um, but as I say, it might be just the fact that my old SC was was, was a bit ropey. more <laughs> was a bit more ropey than the Carrera. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I had I had the I had the Carrera for quite a long time and absolutely loved the car and to be honest with you the only way of me getting onto the next stepping stone at the time was to sell it so i so i did yeah so that that's where the sort of journey began and um you know i'm t- talking about the private side of the of, of me now i i you know i bought better and better every time yeah you know as i got a little bit more money i sort of added to it and, and um you know to, to be fair i was fortunate some of the cars i sold because i'd had them a little while that they'd appreciated a bit. They were good cars. They appreciated a bit, and um, then I was able to add a little bit more money on top and, and get myself in, into the next the, the next sort of category, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Well, it shows your expertise. I mean, you, you clearly know what you're doing just by the the caliber of the cars that you've amassed, like for you personally, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. But with, with the, the the business side of things, it's it's great to see there really is that kind of two pronged attack with rare car finance yeah. and um, and Jonathan Franklin cars as well. And as you know, yeah. listeners may or may not know that you're one of the approved uh, specialists on nineworks.co.uk. So for the yeah. latest stock, it's worth having a look at the marketplace there. Yeah. Um. So that also adds another angle to it, actually, because you you can you actually gain customers from both sides of the business you've got someone's trust with finance and you're setting up figures for them and you, you, you can get across what sort of person you are and you know, that you're a decent, reliable human being. And, and then, then, then you get talking about cars, then yeah. quite often there's, there's crossover between the two businesses. So, so yeah. that's, that's actually helped quite a lot. For, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely goes hand in hand. I'd, I'd say, yeah. you know, um, we, as we spoke about on the podcast before with, um, with rare car finance, Mm. you guys um, can cater for anything sort of like 25 grand and upwards. But I think it's fair to say with the cars that you uh, are trading, particularly um, of late, yeah. it's been like really kind of high end is kind of where you've gone. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just before Christmas, uh, Gerard's restructured about three quite significant collections, actually, you know, multi-million pound collections, which, you know, we, we obviously just before Christmas interest rates, went up so we, we took that as, that as an opportunity to contact a couple of the you know collectors we've got where those rates would make although they were, they were quite small rate increases on the sorts of balances that some of these guys borrow you know because they've got large collections it makes quite a big difference to them yeah. in interest so we yeah. took that as an opportunity to to call them and to try and help them into new agreements that you know where, where they'd be paying less interest going forward so i mean i'm keen to uh where we focus in on uh like the car trading side of things i'm keen to really dive into this with, with regards to like this the, the secret world of, of the supercar trader if you like how much of your business in percentage terms is kind of dealing with off-market cars quite a lot to give you an idea i mean january was actually quite quiet which is historically quite quite normal in the most mm. trade anyway and 
towards the end of January, started getting a few inquiries. And then all of a sudden, last couple of days, and then into February, I went absolutely berserk. And I've actually sold about eight cars off the market this month. And I think only two or three from, from the website. So I'm quite probably, probably quite unusual, you know, quite different to a lot of the big dealers. Obviously I operate slightly differently because I don't have a, you know, big showroom or um, lots yes. of staff working for me. I'm, I'm more of a kind of, I suppose, consultant or whatever you want to call me really for, for existing clients. And, and obviously word of mouth for me is, is very important. And a lot of people who I look after refer me to, to their friends once they've, once they've had a good experience. So I haven't really had to do a lot of advertising. And at the moment, I'm quite, quite comfortable operating quite low key. You know, I love dealing with the people I've got. I've got some really nice customers. They trust me. I trust them. You know, we're, uh, I've got clients that will buy cars by WhatsApp, believe it or not, um, <laughs> that, that are based in Hong Kong, Thailand, you know, America. Yeah, you've um, got that trust. Yeah, I've probably. got some really good guys. I've sold quite a few cars to, and, and they're, you know, they're prepared to send me money and, and that they're, they're happy with my assessment of, of, certain cars quite a lot of them and never inspected even though i say to them you know there might be a particular specialist that's that's very good on a particular you know model of car in fact i had it this week with a 964 um and i said you know why don't you get jazz to look at it to give you an independent opinion you know he was he'd never dealt with me before he was questioning me quite deeply about the car and i said look i I believe the car's you know um tip top but if if you want to get a second opinion maybe talk to you know another trusted expert that's independent from me he arranged with with jazz to inspect the car and um he, he bought the car so uh, you know mm. obviously my assessment of it was right <laughs> there yeah. were a couple of things actually that we've that we've addressed but uh, nothing nothing that we fell out over so we've, we've got that deal done and he's very happy so yeah a lot, a lot of the business is is based on trust and referral yeah it, mu- it must be quite a nice place to be but at the same time whether's you know, as a traditional car dealer, um, you are dealing with cars and your reputation. I suppose when you're doing off-market stuff and maybe a smaller number of people who you get to know well, you're dealing yeah. with cars, reputation, but like potentially like friendships and certainly like relationships at, at the same time. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you, you, you know a couple of the guys I deal with and um, yeah, they, they've, they've turned into friends. You know, we meet up regularly, we discuss cars, we've, you know, we go for lunch, we we talk about all sorts of things other than cars actually as well yeah they've um a lot of them have turned into friends you know just before i sat down here a few minutes ago i've got a whatsapp from a guy i've sold a couple of cars to in northern ireland and he wants this particular car that's at another dealer i've agreed to go and look at it for him so, so I'll, I'll do you know for people i know I'll, I'll i'll go and do inspections i also do a lot of consultancy work for different finance companies so I'll go and inspect cars, you know, make sure they're all as they should be. Yeah. There's, there's lots of angles to the business now. And, you know, I've got a couple of clients who look after their entire collections. They're really busy guys. And I go around to their houses and storage uh, facilities and I'll drive the cars, get the cars serviced every year, you know, MOT them. There's lots of, yeah, there's lots of dirty work involved as well. Not all of it is glamorous. Um, yeah. But I, I enjoy it. I enjoy the people and, and, and I love the cars. So it's so yeah, as much as I sometimes 
sort of, I think I sort of imagined one day I'd like a big, you know, all singing, all dancing showroom. I'm not sure I do now, really. Um, yeah. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing and how it's developed. And I think Lee and I have also had the conversation before as well since COVID-19. Sometimes I don't believe it or understand it, but a lot of people, if you're a trusted person, a lot of people are prepared to buy cars a lot more now than they used to be um, accepting of via email, phone, yeah, WhatsApp. Well, I, th- I think a big, big part of that is is being um, having somebody that they can trust, isn't it? And it sounds yeah, like of a lot of Definitely. people trust you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and sometimes you'll get tested. I mean, I I got tested last year by. Well, I'm not sure if it was a test, but it it probably was a bit. I had a guy bought a car which was relatively inexpensive and uh, he's bought two cars from me since that are quite serious cars i sort of feel like that was that was a bit of a trial it might not have been i might be reading into it too much but it, it felt like a bit of a, a trial when he phoned me for the second and third car but because he you know he got the service he wanted and the due diligence that i did for him yeah he's bought two two other cars without seeing them and he's he's very very happy mm. yeah. so, I'm, I'm keen to establish like how that that kind of top end uh, world as we've alluded to I'm keen to establish how it might differ from um, perhaps more kind of everyday cars or, or mm. everyday kind of Porsche sports cars, if you like. So is the process more fastidious or actually is it more relaxed? You know, how, how does so, what's the approach? Funny enough, uh, generally it's more relaxed. I suppose there's a couple of reasons for that. One, because uh, normally if you're selling, I mean, you've seen some of the cars I've sold in the past, Lee, and, and uh, you know, some of them are very low mileage. They're very, very sort of un- unused cars, really. A lot of them are proper collector cars, which, which by the way, I, you know, I like them, but I I, I kind of... Um, kind of struggle with them in some ways because they're not used. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I love using my cars now. And yeah. Something that lockdown taught me was use your cars, actually. Um, and that sort of stuck with me. And, and that's something that... Before in a previous life, if you're sort of getting what I'm saying, well, you know, where I last worked, so that was low mileage was a was a real sticking point. Um, yeah. And I think it's important because there are collectors that will only buy low mileage cars, yeah. but there are also collectors that like the fact that they've been used and there's a story with them and they've got proper service history files and you know stuff like that. So whereas some of the low mileage cars haven't really got much to go on because they've never been used. Yeah, it's almost a bit sad, isn't it, in some ways? It, it is a bit, but, yeah. you know, I, I have to respect that there's a market for both. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so going back to your question, because I've kind of gone off piece of it, <laughs> no pun intended. I was going to say, very on point <laughs> with where Andy is right now. <laughs> <laughs> but some of the cars are actually easier to sell. So although, although they might be a lot of money, quite easy to sell because, you know, if someone <laughs> says... Yeah, there's no real a, history to look into, is there? Well, no, if there's a, you know, a four-litre RS and it's got... 200 miles on it then what else do you want to know yeah as long as you've got a, a stamp in each for each year you're exactly. done right? yeah, yeah it's effectively yeah. a new car so yeah so so those deals are sometimes the easiest ones although you're talking big sums of money sometimes they're the easiest deals to do yeah and you know someone else that's that's you know buying uh, i don't know twenty five thousand pounds worth of 997 or or box store or whatever it is they they might be buying a high mileage car. They want to know all about the history, and it's it's a lot 
longer process, which I completely understand as well. Um, yeah. You know, you, you want to know where that car's been. You might have had a few owners, and you know that, that they want a rundown of of you know who's owned it and what might have happened to it and yeah. what modifications it might might or might not have had. Yes, there's a lot more work sometimes goes into you know the lower end stuff, but yeah. Um, yeah. but there is sometimes it's important to remember from from for me that quite often that £25,000 997 is actually more important to the chap than than the £400,000 four litre. Absolutely. Liter. And also so, it, can, it can be the seed to somebody getting to the £400,000 four litre. So 100%. you as a, you know, somebody that's servicing will need to service them in the same way. So that, exactly. Yeah, yep. So that that seed grows into your it's your big car collector. That's right. And that and that does happen. You know, I've been yeah. doing this long enough now that that does happen. I have had guys that bought cars off me for 25 grand and they're now buying them at 150. Yeah. So so you yeah, you're 100% right. It's very important to not lose sight of, you know, and, and not not get to be honest that the, the value of the car for me is actually almost irrelevant mm-hmm. because I'd rather concentrate on quality uh, than than how much the car is, um, because it doesn't matter who you're dealing with, whoever you're dealing with, or, you know, or what level of person you're dealing with, or on what level of car price, it, it means just as much to them. Yeah, I, I, I try to never get um, complacent. With um, low or, yeah, so very low production um, models, Yeah, is it that, that are nevertheless desirable is it easier or harder to sell them so a case in point say you've got a 997 rs i think most enthusiasts even kind of from a, a general sort of spectrum know what the car is yeah but say for similar money you've got a 930 le so yeah. you know 50 made um yeah is is it harder to sell that to a to a collector like, or do you have to sometimes explain what the car is and that side or i think generally people who buy a 930 le that they probably know what it is. And, and to be fair, same with GT3 RS. I think you're just looking at probably a, uh, either a different client or putting it brutally, probably slightly older for the 930 LE. <laughs> Generally, I'm obviously generalizing. Yeah. Or you might have a guy that's got a collection of cars and he wants, he might have a car from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. And he, he might want to fill a gap with a special 80s 911. Yeah. But occasionally you, you'll get someone who, yeah, I think. Probably the LE would generate more questions, but to be fair, most of the people who buy cars from me, that they they know their stuff. You know, they they quite often, you know, I'm I'm never um, uh, annoyed about learning something new either. And and some of these chaps, you know, you got to remember, I'm quite sort of um, I have to deal with a quite a broad amount of cars, so being an expert on every single one of them is very difficult but a lot of these guys who have lusted after a particular derivative of 911 for years and years and years they've done their research better than i've done it do, do yeah, you know what i mean yeah. so so they're quite often more of an expert than i am and in actual fact that you know i, I don't mind going with you know admitting that they <laughs> that they know more than i do um it's often easier that way because they've done their research they've done their homework and and they've they sort of come to their own decision without me talking them into it. Yeah. That 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 certainly seems more refreshing from our kind of point of view because what you don't want is um, where these cars go into collections. They 
therefore because there are loads of cars and only one owner yeah those cars tend to not see the light of day and and it's at least refreshing to know that whilst they're kind of taken off the road and taken away from the everyman if you like yeah they are they have nevertheless gone to an enthusiast that understands the car and appreciates it and looks at it for what it should be you know an exquisite motoring machine rather than um a a collectible piece of yeah yeah, mobile art in their collection you know yeah yeah portfolio yes no and and i do think a lot of porsche people are actually very knowledgeable I, th- I think you know obviously i've dealt with a lot of ferrari people over the years as well just you know again going off piste again um and I, I think generally porsche people uh know more about their cars than than maybe a ferrari man knows about their car i, th- I think porsche is a very aspirational product obviously there's a bigger market for it i mean it's a much bigger market in my opinion than 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 for example a Ferrari or other other makes. So I suppose that it's just so you know, much depth to it, isn't there? The there's so much subject. depth to it. Yeah, there's so much yeah. depth to it. There are so many models, so many derivatives, so many uh, you know details. And yeah, for that reason, I think um, us chaps, I think that's why we love them. It's, it, it's a very different market, isn't it, to the to the Italian supercar? Very different. Market. Very yeah. different. Yeah. Um, do you get much crossover with um, you know guys that have both um, as as collectors? Occasionally at the top end, so you might have a guy with you know you might have five or six Porsches, and then he might have one Ferrari. Yeah, just because he fancied a particular. You know, I, I have actually. I've got a three five five. Yeah, and it was just again looking back at nine six four back in the day. It was a car that I always looked at and thought how beautiful it was. Yeah, well, um, is, it, that is probably yeah the most beautiful Ferrari, isn't it? I, yeah, I think well, it's, to, it's, to in me, my eyes, it's that nineties yeah thing. It is the nine six four time. It, it makes a lovely noise. It looks beautiful. It's just the yeah. right size as well. It's not. Yes. it's not too yeah. flamboyant in some no. ways. Um, yeah, it's not crazy Ferrari, if you know what I mean. No, and the, and the other thing on on that note, I I I tend to prefer cars that are a bit. But kind of they're, they're not understated, but they're, they're a bit more, bit more of a thinking man's car. Yeah, yeah. rather than someone a bit more purposeful, rather than the flamboyancy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Bang on. Yeah. Something else that I think kind of probably pays into this, Jonathan, is perhaps where either dealing with off market, but certainly dealing with traders or collectors. Sorry, you must have collectors that come to you and say. I might not be looking for a car, but I've got, say, X amount to spend. What do I spend it on? That that must be a kind of fairly frequent occurrence. Yeah, that happens. That happens quite a lot. And to be honest, generally, uh, if someone's got money to put into, uh, I, don't, I don't really like the word investment, but it's if, if someone wants to put, because it's always difficult, you, you, can't, you can't promise someone that something's an investment as much as car dealers in general like to do that. I like to think I could tell someone where to put a certain amount of money into something safe, but you can't hand on your heart tell someone that that, that it's going to fly up in value and they're they're going to suddenly become wealthy overnight on the back of buying a you know a nine eleven. But I think nine elevens are a fairly solid place to put your money in general compared to other makes and models. And I'm talking about all different ages as well. 
Yeah, it's always something that kind of it's really cringeworthy for me as a as a punter, if you like, when you're kind of browsing or perusing the classifieds and you mm. come across something and and somebody's put you know surefire investment piece. Yeah, and I it, hate that sort of term. It's it's yeah. um, you can't I predict mean, it with real authority. That's the, that's the the issue. You can't. You know, everybody's guessing about that sort of thing. Yes, you can make calculated predictions about certain cars, you know, which, which to be fair, are fairly obvious. You know, if you buy a four-litre RS, you know that it's because it's naturally aspirated and it's manual and, and we're getting towards driving electric cars now, that that car is probably going to be desirable in the future. We all know that. We don't need, you know, you don't need to be an expert to know that. But you can't, you can't really tell someone something's a surefire investment. I don't think it's, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's the right uh, you know the right wording really to be honest yeah just to, to me it just comes as across said, as very yeah. schoolboy you know and you almost yeah, you, you immediately kind of don't really trust anything else in the advert because it's like you yeah. shouldn't need to point that out what you should point out is the quality of the car and it's up to the punter to decide whether it's worth them investing in whether it's yeah. emotionally or financially or whatever yeah so. yeah that's right and and also remind the the customer that the that the car you know unlike some investments you know putting money into, I don't know, ices and whatever else, I don't know. But things, yeah, cars, cars, cars go up and down like, like other asset classes, but, but, they, but you can take them out and enjoy them as well. And that, yeah. that has to account for something, especially, you know, in the last couple of years where we've, we've been through this pandemic. And I think people are starting to realise that, you know, you've got to live a little as well. And it's not just all about pure investment and i know we've seen um in recent months because of new car supply we've seen you know late used cars late car late car prices go through the roof but that will correct itself at some point you know make no mistake once these semiconductors and electronics uh, uh, come back and production starts flowing again prices will will come off a little bit probably won't be for a long time and I'm sure it will be steady. I don't think anything will fall off a cliff. But but I definitely think the newer stuff will sort of come back a little bit. The, the, like the internet, well, what I want to say is the um, the collectible, do you call it a scene? Probably not. But the collectible industry is by nature kind of an international beast. So how yeah. difficult is that kind of moving cars between um different economies essentially of like different currencies and, and particularly in recent years how kind of volatile different different economies have been well we sit we look we saw i think we've touched on this before we saw you know after brexit we, we saw significant changes with cars like like carrera gt for example where the car's not old enough to get out of the the vat so yeah. anything that's imported into the uk would would have 20 percent fat applicable to it so that's changed since Brexit, isn't it? Because it didn't have that before. Yeah. So yeah. automatically, the car, you know, any car that comes into the UK, because m- most most Carrera GTs at that point were coming into the UK from the States, right, um, and Europe. And now the tables have absolutely turned, and the American market's gone ballistic. You you guys will know that um, you know things like nine five nines, Carrera GTs, all, all the big ticket stuff seems to get highlighted because it's because it's you know, you're talking big numbers, and it's yeah. it's good it's good news and good good publicity, I suppose. But but you'll notice some of these cars are going for you know huge amounts of money now, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's down to economy, as you touched on at the beginning, Lee. You know, the economy in America 
is obviously very strong for cars at the moment. And we, we are perceived to be cheaper over here than, than their, their market. So cars are actually going back over there now. And a few years ago, it was the other way. Well, yeah, from my kind of, from how I've seen it, and I know you and I have spoken about this before, Jonathan, it almost seems kind of like cyclical because there's a period of time when um, like certainly UK cars will all, you know, collectible cars will go to the Far East. And then a few years later, they all seem to come back again. And and it's, yeah, Yeah. it seems to work that way. Well, I had it with with, um, Hong Kong, Thailand. I mean, the amount of cars that I've sent out there a few years ago is... can't even remember how many there's so many um, <laughs> it, you know that that doesn't uh doesn't sit well with me by the way because a lot, a lot of the cars were very nice cars and it's a shame they went overseas but um but uh, yeah i mean that that market funny enough that market's just starting to come alive again but but the last couple of years um it's been very quiet but now you know as we've spoken about america seems to be um Fantastic, isn't it? yeah yeah, yeah. So it seems to be, you know, whatever market or tax rules, you know, they seem to change and the market just moves about a bit, doesn't it? So Yeah, well, this is it. You know, the cars are constantly on the move, although, you know, there are a lot of these cars around. There is only a finite amount of them, ultimately. So, yeah. you know, it's, I'm sure it's a case of, you know, you see one car go to a certain territory and then a few years later, it's on the move again elsewhere. And that just kind of yeah. seems to be seems to be how it goes the only variable is the price that's attached to them so yeah. that's right yeah i'm, no, I'm always, in, always intrigued by the japanese market i don't know if you've got any insights into that um, um whenever you see japanese cars they always seem always seem very special in that um i don't well the, the type of cars spec. yeah quirky specs and colors yeah. and just they seem to have gone went mad in that sort of 80s 90s Time. Yeah, so the well, the, the main agents over there, Miswa, um, that they, yeah, that they they obviously had. I imagine I, I don't know for sure, but they must have had big allocations of cars because I I've seen yeah lots of Japanese cars come to the UK over the years, and um, yeah, a lot of very nice cars, and a lot yeah. of them are in very nice condition as well because uh, you know the, the climate's a bit better, I guess, and they've been looked after. Yeah, um, so. Have you have you managed have you bought lots of cars over from Japan? So have you got much history? Not, not recently. Uh, a few years ago, yes. You know, nine six fours, nine nine threes, lots of them. Singapore as well. But but that that market seems to have. I don't know. We've either we we've either taken them all now, <laughs> sucked or, it dry. Or, um, yeah, we sucked it dry. So uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't. To be honest, I haven't seen a car come from that area of the world for for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, Australia was an interesting one, actually. But Australia is another one where every few years you seem to be either buying lots of cars from Australia or sending them back out there. Yeah. Um, so that's another country that's so again that cyclical type thing. Yeah. 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 That's right. How prevalent are race cars within these kind of high end collections, Jonathan? Um, well, there tend to be uh, certain clients that collect race cars. Quite simply, it's very unusual that you get, well, in my experience anyway, it's very unusual that you get a man with a sort of regular type collection and then one race car. It's, that's quite unusual. You normally, you know, you normally get a man who, who, in fact, it's the other way around. You normally get one or two road cars and then you, you get a chat with maybe a 962 and a, I don't know, a 
uh, maybe a 935 or a 3D RSR or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so so th- there tend to be uh, sort of race car enthusiasts that sort of concentrate on that sort of stuff. That and market so- seems to have changed a lot in my eyes in that, you know, you used to be able to, I don't know, go through magazines like car and car conversions and there'd be like race cars in the back for next to nothing. Um, but now there seems to be lots of race cars in here. They've got lots of providence. They've got um, oh, they go race for history. Huge money, huge and there they're going for hate, huge money, which seems a big turnaround. Is that, is, is that I from think, my eyes, is that right? Or have I missed no, something? I think, I, I think you're right. You've got, um, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a website called Race Cars Direct, which you've probably heard of. Yes. Um, and there's, there's some quite significant cars on there. And yes, you're right. The, the prices do do seem to have toughened up quite a lot with race cars. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that you can actually quite easily convert a race car for the road. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know, a 993 Cup, for example, you, you know, you could put a handbrake in it, which they yeah. don't have from standard. All, all, the, um, all the bits are there in the chassis ready to do it. Yeah. So you can put a handbrake in and um, change wheels and things like that tires and you've got yourself a road car yeah i guess there's the flip side is there's lots of goodwood events there's lots of other well, I was going to say classic well, race series going on now yeah so there's lots of so yeah I, th- I think it's become more of a hobby now you know a lot there's a lot of events like goodwood that there are other i, I don't to be honest i don't have much uh, to do with them but there are different race series in i think germany and various other places yeah, for yeah. different categories of of car like 993 964 that sort of stuff and i and i think that's made them more valuable as well absolutely yeah because i think uh, you know take i don't know you can use them go 15 years ago you probably barely give them more rotting in garages where yeah very different nowadays yeah it's 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 kind of a a part that it fascinates me not enough don't get me wrong not enough for me to kind of want to buy a race car but it's just it seems it's a very different world to road cars really and like you say it just comes down to like provenance and stuff whereas road cars you, you it's condition 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 yeah. yeah no that's right and also i suppose also you've got you know that there are I mean, we could talk about singer they're obviously the the kind of benchmark if you like of of um modifying porsches um yeah. or modified porsches i should say but you know i guess you know a lot, a lot of the a lot of the race cars that weren't worth lots of money but they that they they can be quite easily turned into you know someone's dream car by you know because they're true, maybe, yeah. maybe at one point they were they were worth less money than a than a good rate road car yeah yeah that they they can be quite easily made into someone's road legal dream can't they yeah. so so yeah i think that's i think there's quite a few reasons why race car prices have firmed up actually do you deal much in race cars at all or is that that's not really not really thing? no right. not really yeah, yeah. Um, i have got a couple of clients who have got you know race cars but yeah. if i'm honest it's not my area of expertise just, just just going back to um we were talking about you know uh, special cars and um are they more difficult to sell and stuff like that um i was wondering if you've had any sort of clients in the past that have waited a long time for a particular car to come along and you know is there a is there a little story that you've got of you know somebody that's waited 10 years for something to come along do you ever get? Do you ever get oh yeah, I mean, yeah. Look, I've had plenty of people who have maybe um, you know bought something relatively inexpensive, you know, and they've they've lusted after maybe a GT3 or something like that, 
and they've they've got it 10 years later or whatever it is you know and it's you know so nice to to be able to supply someone a car like that where they've they've you know they've obviously worked hard for it and yeah and um, i was i was wondering if there was any particular stories of you know people have got the means to buy something but they've waited 10 years for somebody to actually decide to sell it so you know there's a particular color that they wanted in a particular model uh yeah, I've had. Uh, I can't really mention any names, really, but or, no, of course. But but uh, yeah, I mean, there are cars. Uh, I mean, I've had it with nine nine three GT two. Uh, I had a chap that waited literally years. Yeah. Um, to, to to have one, um, and managed to find him one one of the seven UK cars. Um, so that was that was quite. Um, you know, I've had it with Turbo S, nine nine three yeah. Turbo S, and now more recently, I'm having it with nine six fours, nine six fours really really hard to find a good 964 and um look we both know that i mean a few years ago you could buy one for 12 12 grand <laughs> yeah, i was gonna say no but nobody wanted them yeah nobody wanted them for 15 yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> and, and um uh, yeah i don't really know what's happened but i mean i i'm, yeah. I mean, I'm an, an advocate for them anyway as you know yeah I, I, I think they're fantastic but i remember a friend buying one i reckon it was 10 years ago so yeah. It must, yeah, it must have been sort of 2010, something like that. And I remember him paying 14 grand for it. Yeah. And yeah. he literally owned it a few weeks because he decided that um, parts were too much. He was used to Volkswagen Corrados. <laughs> and um, he was like, he was a bit shocked by the part prices and he decided to sell it. He, you know, he decided yeah. that he wasn't, it, he didn't have the means for it at the time. I'm sure he's very <laughs> gutted about it now, but yeah, that, that, that is really the story of the 964 though, isn't it? It's that they were cars, you know, somebody of not much means could buy them. Um, yeah. Totally different now. A bit like 928s as well, where the, the, they were the same. Some of the parts were expensive, but uh, most other, you know, supercars, which is what they are really, a lot of other cars are a lot more expensive to run. True. So yeah, you, you get the Porsche are quite funny actually. Most of the parts are fairly reasonable, and then you get one part that you think might not be that expensive, and it's at an absolutely mad price. Yeah. But but, but I think that's kind of always been the case with Porsche. And then yeah, you, you do wonder somehow how sometimes how they uh, calculate the prices of some parts. Yes. Yeah. You do. You yeah. get you get some that are like pennies, and then others that are literally hundreds of pounds or something. Like that. That's right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be yeah. interesting to see the background of that. Maybe maybe we should do a podcast on that. <laughs> try and get idea. into speak to somebody at Porsche Parts and <laughs> try and work that one out. I bet they probably won't be able to answer that. But, <laughs> no, yeah, exactly, but, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think uh, but I think generally they're they're probably one of the most reasonable cars to 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 look after and maintain. But uh, I'm a bit biased, as you know. So. <laughs> It's um it's been great to get a bit of a kind of insider's viewpoint of how that kind of world operates, Jonathan. And it certainly at, at face value, it sounds quite um quite pleasant and quite you you know utopian really from a, a trader's point of view, where you can almost move cars between people via WhatsApp. But I think it's important yep. to kind of really press home the fact that to get to that stage doesn't happen overnight. And 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 prior no. to that, it's it's years of managing relationships. It is. It's taken me a long time, and I, I do actually sell quite a lot of cars to dealers as well. Quite often, with these cars at the, the, the top sort of stuff, you know, another dealer will have a really good relationship with a particular client. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know the client. Likewise, I'll have a client that, you know, they might have a car that 
that uh, my man wants that you know and and uh, sometimes in fact quite often I, I will do business with other dealers that there are I don't really want to name them but there are quite a few quite high-end dealers that I have dealt with um, you know in the last couple of years that that kind of you know I rely on them and they rely on me sometimes yeah. to, to find yeah. the top stuff which is great because it, it comes down to, to people and it's certainly a far better proposition than you yeah. know, put, putting a car out there and having somebody come and tie a kick and offer a swap yeah. for an MGZT or something like that. So, um, But at the same time, there must be difficult aspects to, to kind of what you do as well. I wonder if you wouldn't mind just kind of touching on what, what they might be. Difficult aspects. Um, to be honest, I mean... There's there's not much that's that's that difficult. It's just it's just knowledge that I've had to I've had to I've had to work quite hard to to gain and maintain the, the customers I've got. Um, I wouldn't say it's hard, and the reason I I don't think it's hard is because I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong; it's challenging sometimes. Calls sometimes. 11, 12, 1 in the morning from, from people in different countries that I've dealt with for a number of years. And, and sometimes the job is challenging, but I kind of like it. Mm-hmm. So you know what it's like in life with everything. If you enjoy something, then it's not quite as hard as if you're doing something you don't like. So for that reason, I wouldn't say it's hard as such. Maybe challenging sometimes, but, but um, and it always seems to go berserk at the same time. You know, you get a quiet patch and then all of a sudden everybody wants you and you know sometimes i'm on the phone and i've i've missed three calls and then it takes and then you call them back and then you know it's another three like missed calls. In sorry and then another three missed calls and it- yeah exactly and then, and then <laughs> yeah. you're you're constantly trying to get yeah. back and and um so it's just yeah it's just time management and um nothing really difficult just uh, but i think that's down to the fact that i just enjoy it so yeah yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so just um, one last question I've got actually is uh, where, where you're saying about kind of communications and, and certainly there can be a lot of late hours, particularly with regards to like international clients and different markets, yeah. but how reactive are kind of collectors off the back of say auctions? So, you know, there'll be a, a big auction at car week or whatever. And, um, a, you know, a certain car makes a headline for going whatever. Does, you know, does your phone start smoking essentially with people yep. saying, I, you know, I've got to get one of these or. Yep. Yeah, it does quite often before auctions, actually. There's, you know what it's like. There's always a lot of chat uh, on forums and things about cars that are coming up in auction. Yep. And, uh, you know, people look at the estimates and they see where the price is going. And then, as you say, the minute the car goes for, if it goes for a, a huge amount of money and it's never gone for that before then yeah the phone absolutely melts but the problem, <laughs> the problem is by that point it's too late <laughs> it's too late so yeah, yeah. um um so you've kind of got to you know i've got a lot of really clever customers that are uh constantly uh, you know assessing the market and the cars and you know they're, they're very intelligent people most of them and and um you know with some of the cars i guess it's kind of it's almost gambling really with some of them yeah. but a lot of them are very accepting that they could maybe pay too much for something today but maybe in a year's time it might have caught up with itself so yeah. um, but but you're right i mean there's a lot of hype sometimes around certain cars a few more might go through an auction and then things kind of 
cool down a bit. Yeah, so, so yeah. the nature of the beast, I suppose. So. Yeah, and it, and it also depends. The thing is with auctions, it depends. It depends who's there on the day. You know, you might just get two guys that you know <laughs> to lift the egos. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we know. You know, I'm not going to mention any names, but we we know of a few cars like that that got sold a few years ago. I'm sure you you probably know the ones I'm talking about. And um, there was a battle between two very wealthy chaps that just wanted this particular car and they just weren't stopping until they bought it. <laughs> yeah, it went well into seven figures, I believe. So. It did. So yeah, there are there are sometimes some sometimes egos come into auctions, but um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. No, that's that's cracking. That's absolutely cracking. Did, did you have another question, Andy? I do, I do. I was wondering, you said you've sort of sold eight eight to ten cars so far this month. I was just wondering yeah. if it's possible to divulge to give our listeners uh, an idea of what that sort of stock was um uh well actually without so, going into details of each one but you know well in actual fact they weren't they weren't all porsches unfortunately no, that's so, fine no? um, there, there were a couple of ferraris in there and, and an aston martin as well so yes there were a couple of cars that disappeared into a couple of collections that um were, were never advertised and but but that's you know i i, I enjoy that sort of stuff I'm not, look, you probably know by looking at social media and stuff like that, I'm not really one to be shouting about everything I do every day. And, you know, I, I do post things on Instagram just because I see something I like or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I'm generally, a lot of the people I deal with don't really like talking about what they've got either. So course, I, yeah. I tend to kind of, um, that, that's why sometimes I do a lot with the trade as well. Yeah. tend to just quietly trade cars to, to other dealers and um, keep everything a bit low profile but i can't i can't really can't i don't really want to go into too much detail because they're quite high profile cars so yeah um no that's fine um i've all along while we've been talking i've been thinking you know what what would you call jonathan and i'm thinking the, the car ninja <laughs> <laughs> you don't know he's there but he's, he's doing his thing <laughs> yeah you're right and it's do you know what though? it's so frustrating sometimes because I, sometimes i chase cars for years yeah yeah uh, and i and i keep talking to people for years and years and years and that sounds a bit stalkerish actually and a bit bit weird but but i'm i'm so i, I so love getting to some of these cars sometimes that that you know might have been in long-term ownership but it's it's having that trust of both the seller and the yeah. buyer of being able to um take a car from one chapter of its life to the next chapter yeah and you're yeah. you're from what you've said you're able to build those relationships between those people to to make that thing possible yeah sometimes it's a difficult thing to articulate but you've also got to remember that i, that I don't have huge overhead so i also try and give people realistic prices for their cars yeah and you know to be honest when you've got a car that's been in someone's ownership for a many many years and it's a good car then generally at a certain level the next man who buys the car will appreciate that yeah you know yeah. that th there'll always be someone that appreciates you know the story that's gone with the car yeah um if, if it's a good one uh, it's, it's been intriguing to to find out the sort of yeah the 
just a different facet i think to the yeah, market and, and how, how yeah. things might operate away from kind of you know the general the general classifieds i suppose so yeah um yeah cracking jonathan thank you for the insight on that it's, it's been a real pleasure so thank you we will um we'll see you at the nine works awards of course on yeah, the definitely. on the 7th of april i know you said you fly under the radar and whatnot but um yeah, yeah i don't, I don't I want any awards because i'm a bit <laughs> bit, bit quiet in my uh <laughs> way i operate but uh anyway we'll see <laughs> <laughs> quality well yeah we'll, we'll look forward to hosting you no, for the nice evening anyway, of it anyway so. excellent no it's our it's our pleasure so look i guess um people can find you at jonathanfranklin.com or jonathanfranklincars.com jonathanfranklincars.com yeah excellent cool and of course like the full inventory of the cars that you do have that is definitely on market we can right. see it on nine works as well so um well i would say to if if you want a particular car that that um is a little bit unusual then it's always worth asking as well. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Certainly, it feeds in with a feature we've got on Nine Works, which is uh, off-market garage OMG, yeah. we call it. And and yeah, if people have got a, a perhaps a unique car that they'd like to sell, or if somebody has a wish list, then yeah, pass it over. Yeah. And that's kind of how that's where we come into it essentially to just put those in front of the right people, yourself included. So yeah. Grand. All right, Jonathan. Well, look, thanks for your time. We shall, uh, we shall leave you to it. No doubt the phone would have blown up in the hour we've been speaking. So, yeah, it's gone, <laughs> yeah. gone off a few times. <laughs> All right. I'll, Thank um, you very much. Yeah, catch you soon. Nice one. Yes. Thank you, Jonathan. Cheers, guys. Marvellous to hear, Jonathan. Dulcet tones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's nice to hear how kind of yeah different things are to just kind of everyday car yeah. sales. I yeah, suppose. Yeah all about relationships isn't it yeah it is no way is kind of easier or harder than the other i i would say and again as i kind of mentioned in the um in the interview whilst you do move cars between people via whatsapp or even instagram it's such an effective tool yeah you know you're not dealing with tire kickers but it takes a long time to gain somebody's trust to get to that point you know so there's 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 a lot of peddling that's that's needed as well as kind of expertise to get to that so yeah, yeah, there's um, an awful lot of work in that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that shouldn't be underestimated in that you've got to gain trust of the sellers and you've got to gain trust of the purchasers as well. Um, exactly, yeah. I'm sure it's probably years of work to, to get that um, get that all under, under, yeah, getting it working. Yeah, it doesn't tend to be, you know, a sale and see ya kind of yes. approach. So. Um, yeah, it takes a lot to cultivate that. So we are grateful to Jonathan for his time, of course, and also his insight into how that side of things works. So yeah, absolutely. Thank, thank you, that, Jonathan. Jonathan. Yeah, excellent. Right. So, shall, we, shall we? Shall we? <laughs> yes, we want to know. We want to know who has won the Boxster livery race car competition at Charade. Yeah. Uh, but we also want to know what design has won. So we'll put the winning livery design out on our social media so you can see in all its glory what was the the livery that's going to be adorned to steve's race car and is going to be lapping some famous circuits this year for the box the cup excellent excellent right so i think i'm going to leave you to uh speak to steve and the winner nice one yeah you hit the slopes and uh I'll, I'll get the guys on excellent okay i shall see you uh next week we've got a good um guest next week actually yeah uh, local got, guy to you and i yeah absolutely legendary in the custom car scene um i've managed to get hold of andy saunders um if you don't know who andy saunders is i'm pretty sure you'll know some of his cars from the past so uh, yeah have a look um that's coming up next week yes that's going to be uh, particularly fit from your side as an engineer and very interesting like 
custom modification and fabrication and whatnot. Yeah. That is uh, that is right up your strata, Andy Brooks. Indeed. Indeed, it should be a good one. But yeah, I'll leave you to um, speak to Steve and the winner. Excellent. And nice one, Andy. Okay. Enjoy. See you soon. Bye. Okay, gents, I've been really looking forward to this. So, Steve Shaw at Charade, please meet Justin, our Nineworks Radio competition winner. Hi, Justin. <laughs> Hi, Steve. Pleasure to meet you, mate. Yeah, pleasure to meet you too. Excellent. Uh, can I just say thank you? I'm absolutely gobsmacked, mate. I didn't, you know. So, yeah, <laughs> thank you for choosing mine. No, no, we, listen, it was a great design. And um, we we actually put the, all the designs to our team here as well. Um, so it, it wasn't just me making the decision. It was everybody at Charade wow. who, who had a say in, in what was what we printed everything all out. And then they, they wrote the names on on which one they they felt was the best. Um, and yours was unanimous. So um, wow. well done. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well <laughs> <laughs> there were, um, again, you should be rightly proud of your achievements, Justin, because the the level of competition was exceedingly high. I know Andy and I yeah. were pretty blown away just by the calibre of some of the designs that came through. Steve, I know you were really impressed as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was. I, I, you know, there were some professionals in there and I thought I didn't stand a chance. There were some cracking ones, you know. So, yeah, I, I'm still... Uh, still letting it sink in to be honest <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a shock I never win anything <laughs> so, <laughs> so what was um what was the the inspiration behind the design then Justin like where, where did you go with your creativity I've always liked the old um Salzburg design on the on the 917 um and obviously it's a pretty special car it was it was the first 917 to give them their overall victory at Le Mans in 1970 um, I just think it's a great looking, simple design. It's simple, but really effective. Mm-hmm. You know, the contrast between the red and the white. Yeah, it looks great. It, it, you know, it, it kind of flows and makes the car look like it's moving when it's when it stood still. So, yeah, that that was, you know, behind it. Fantastic. It's funny you say that, Justin, because, uh, and again, Andy and I were not privy to any of the decision-making process. It was entirely down to Steve and the charade team. But when Steve and I were going through some of the designs, that is one thing we picked up on with yours. And we said, we feel like the car is moving. It it looks fast even when it's static, you know, so it it, it definitely came across. Steve, how how hard was it then to, to pick through what was 20 in the end, 20 really stellar designs for this competition? Um, it, it was exceptionally difficult. Um, the, the reason being, yes, yes, there were some brilliant ones and, and some of them really look good. However, what we've got to look at is how can we reproduce that, um, whether it be through through vinyl or whether it be through paint. What we have to consider as well is, is our, the, the previous carnation of the car, which was the, the Rothmans design. Um, we sort of went over the board in the fact that everything was, was sealed under the clear coat lacquer, so everything was nice and smooth which looks absolutely fantastic and feels fantastic, but it costs an absolute fortune every time it gets pranged. So we, we decided this time to go for a block colour, um, and then obviously the, the design and the flamboyancy come through the, um, the design of, of, of the, um, the, the graphics or, or whether it's, it's, it's actually paint that we put on as well. But we wanted to be able to do something that wasn't multiple stages of different colours, different layers of clear coat, and try and keep it to two block colours, namely the, the the ruby stone and the, and the second colour. Um, but yeah, there were some great designs, but it would have involved more around wrapping the car uh, as opposed to a straightforward um, graphic design. 
Um, and again, when when we saw all the different designs, like I say, yes, there were some great ones, but like I say, yours, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, prior to, before we agreed to, to do the competition, I'd spent hours and hours and hours trawling, looking at different classic Porsche designs and, and every sort of race car that was out there. Um, and I kept going back to the Salzburg design um, because it looks so great. Um, the, the other thing we have to look at as well is that there is already another car, a red and white one in the same race series. Um, so I didn't want the car to look the same. It had to be significantly different enough um, to stand out from everything else. Um, and yeah, it, it still looks fast when it's standing still. So nine times out of 10, my car is standing still. So I still want it to look fast. <laughs> Absolutely cracking. So Steve, what's the plan from here then? So as we, we showed on social media last week or week before, we shared some pictures of the car so that that base Ruby stone coat is on. Yep. What's the plan between here and then and first race? Okay, so next stage now is by the end of this week, the car will all be uh, put back together. Um, it's in the final state. All the panels are painted. Uh, some uh, panels that have still got to be polished, but the, the bulk of the car is all back together. Uh, once we're at that stage, um, we're then going to go to one of the local graphic companies um, and get them to come up with a, an, an idea of, of how we can make this look. It may still be at this point that we decide it might be easier to paint it on. Because um, again, what we've got to think about from from the end of the, the, the swooshes, from a graphic, it's going to be really thin. Um, so you then got the worry of it, it, it peeling off. Um, so again, it may be that I speak to the the, uh, the the paint technician who painted it to say, look, can we do this as, as a paint finish? Um, either way, it'll look as good. But again, for me, it's it's how easy it is to change it, and we, we want it to make sure it looks as good as it possibly can. Yeah. at this point well you'll you'll have the nows and the uh the expertise and equipment to make the right decision yeah there, so. yeah and, and that again from from the salzburg design we we effectively can modify that can't we we can extend the switches down the side of the car um we oh, can yeah. then we can then incorporate the the uh the number circle on the door as well what oh, i like to I was just going to say, I would, I would expect I would expect you to use a bit of artistic license to make it look more Salzburg. Yeah, I was just using a mouse and a and a keyboard and and my basic Photoshop. Yeah, skills. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it it might to be get that, the general idea. Yeah, I mean, obviously now now we've decided on your design. It might be that we still work together, and you can probably come up with a computerized drawing of what we needed to look like. So I can I can go to my paint lad and say, well, okay, this this is what we're trying to achieve. Um, yeah. So again. The, the the images that you've produced already that, that's a great starting point but maybe we can then look at it and say well okay let's let's see what else we can do with that um again because obviously we want to add the charade logo the nine works logo um we want to make sure that's positioned properly as well um yeah. on the car and on the bonnet wherever we choose to put the all the logos and everything awesome absolutely awesome and justin just like run it past this so i mean for the benefit of people listening at home you're sitting with what looks like a pretty serious home race setup there so you're 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 clearly a, a dyed in the wall race guy so yeah what's it feel like to know that your livery is going to be on a, a genuine porsche race car yeah see look at that awesome. <laughs> oh wow <laughs> I said, yes. absolutely, i'm absolutely gobsmacked to be honest with you i am you know, I'm a I'm a petrol head through and through. You know that, Lee. You you, you know, you've, in the short time you've known me, um, you get an idea of that. I'm really into my my cars and my racing. I've been to Le Mans quite a few times. Most of my old <laughs> tickets up on the wall there. Um, 
uh, yeah, it's well, I'm I'm humbled. It's an honour to 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 think that a, a car that I've had a hand in designing the livery on is going to be zipping around the racetracks for a season. Um, is yeah mind blown <laughs> <laughs> well hopefully you'll get a good view of it along with everybody else because steve's going to be way out in front way out in front no pressure no there then. Strike, so. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic absolutely fantastic uh yeah well look justin as you know one of the um the deals of the competition as as the aside from the main prize of winning that opportunity to have delivery on the car uh, you'll also be a, a guest of nine works for a full race weekend when we go and, and see steve and watch how he gets on at one of the races so i, d- I didn't know that wow oh, yes yeah exactly that so yeah you'll, we'll be able to show Amazing. you the car like in the metal and, and see yeah. your work come to fruition so we'll, uh, we'll oh, look forward to doing that i look forward to that yeah yeah can't wait fantastic Excellent. Okay. Well, look, fantastic. It's really awesome to unite Steve and, mm. and, and the owner of the car with mm. Justin, the competition winner. So look, thanks to you both for joining us on, on No Much Radio. It's, it's been brilliant. Yeah. And listen, thanks. Yeah. Thank thanks you. very much, Justin. Great work. I, I just Thank hope you. we can do you justice and, uh, and reproduce it right for you. <laughs> I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. <laughs> Spot on. Gents, thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, and there we have it. It was so good to introduce Justin to Steve at Charade, whose Boxster, of course, will be racing in the Boxster Cup this year, adorned with Justin's livery design. Thank you so much to everybody that took part in the competition. I have it on good faith from Steve that the decision really was tough to pick a winner out of so many stellar entries. That completes another episode of Nine Works Radio. Thank you very much for listening. Please go on to iTunes or your preferred podcast platform and leave us a little bit of feedback. We always appreciate that. And we'd like to hear from you too. Drop us a line, hello at nineworks.co.uk or contact Andy and I across any of our social media channels. Catch you next time. (laughs) 